1: Hi there. What you're about to hear, folks, is a special re-release of a bewildered episode that's part of what Marty calls the Change Cycle. This Mm. is the first of four episodes about the Change Cycle. We did one for each of the four phases or squares of change.
0: Yeah, it's like sort of knowing the calendar of four seasons. Understanding change in this way can actually really help if you want to live according to your true nature.
1: And as you'll hear in the coming episode, Bug Soup... Square one is what happens when your previous identity can no longer remain constant and you have to melt down. Mm
0: -hmm. So you can find more information, including visual references and helpful hints at marthabeck.com slash change. Hope you enjoy the episode. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash Compass, and we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan, and this is another
1: episode of Bewildered, the podcast
0: for people trying to figure it out. How are you doing, Marty? I'm doing pretty well. It's been a while since we sat down to do this, and it's really fun to be here again, I have to say. But
1: they don't know that. Our listeners don't know that because of the magic of something of I guess like regular releases it's we're supposed we to deposit maintain. them
0: in a special agory yeah because they're like eggeries. we put and a little you all egg podcast
1: have the illusion that we do things regularly but in fact we don't as we as we very often end up saying on
0: That's this show we podcast. say it like every time and then we say oh but they don't know because of the magic of whatever but we're wrong we're wrong and, and they're right wrong. Anyway, what are you trying to figure out? Well, Marty,
1: as so often, what I'm trying to figure out today is what the hell is wrong with me? Oh, (laughs) Uh, this should be quick. (laughs) Right. So case in point. Okay. Don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the show before, but we have a young daughter.
0: I don't think you've ever said that. No. No. Nor have
1: I. We never ever ever talk about it. Well, she's very like we don't really notice her very much. Nah, she's she's really so conspicuous. Yeah. We give her yeah. a little priority. Yeah. She just sort of sits in the corner quietly most of the time. <laughs> anyway, so one of her hobbies at the moment is that she likes to play hide and seek. Mm. And I find that it bedtime runs a lot more smoothly if we do a little hide and seek first. Mm. little, you know, I scratch her back, she scratches mine. Um, (laughs) I didn't know that was part of Hide and Seek, but now I want to play it again. Uh, You don't want to play it the way she plays it, Artie, because it's terrifying. What? Well, I mean, and this is to the what the hell is wrong with me. It shouldn't be terrifying to play Hide and Seek with your toddler, but here we go. So first of all, playing Hide and Seek with Lila involves her taking you to the place that she wants you to hide right in this instance her toddler bed so which is like a crib with the sides taken off for those of you who don't know such things (laughs) all right i climb into the toddler bed and then she says okay now i'm gonna go and count she walks out of the room and here's what she does though she starts mm. counting. She's great at counting. <laughs> um, <laughs> A bit random. Y, seven.
0: seven.
1: <laughs> but then for some reason, and this is where it starts getting... Mm-hmm. As she gets closer to ten, mm-hmm. she starts to whisper the numbers. Okay. And I personally find it very disturbing like i can't exactly <laughs> explain it but when you go one two three four that's one thing but then when it's like eight <laughs> nine, so then she comes in mm. ready or not here i come well now and you're scaring the, me by the way ready or not here i come is a scary threat it's a
0: terrible thing to say to a person yeah. What if your doctor said that to you? Instead of knocking on the door, they just stood outside and went, ready or not, here I come.
1: Marty, I feel like it would be wrong if we didn't take a break at this point to let you tell a doc- doctor joke that you recently read in a David Sedaris book.
0: <laughs> you th- okay. Yeah, oh, I absolutely This is a think... family show. Okay. No, it to... is not. It's an adults-only to... show. So – this is a joke from David Sedaris's book, A Carnival of Snackery, and to give full attribution, he heard it from Phyllis Diller, and now you're hearing it from me. Here's the joke. A man goes to the doctor. Doctor says to the patient, you're gonna need to stop masturbating. And the man says, why? And the doctor says, so I can examine you. <laughs> End of joke. It did make me laugh and laugh, I have to say. What? One of my favorite How? jokes.
1: It's a wonderful joke. How did I go, get to that from hide and seek without talking?
0: I said, if the doctor stopped outside the examination room oh, and said, ready are not,
1: here I, here I come. That would be Clarice. really
0: genuinely terrifying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a Clarice situation. It's not good. So go on, what does our daughter do?
1: So she understands that the first part of how to play hide and seek when you know full well where the person's hiding is that you walk into the room and you talk loudly about um, where they aren't. Mm. <laughs> and so she's like, I wonder where my mummy is. <laughs> Larry East. And she's like, is she? and she just thinks of really lame places like right here in the middle of the room no anyway there's just a point where she does that for a while and i'm under the covers right i'm hiding under the covers in this tiny tiny yeah. bed all scrunched up awkwardly but then yes like as as the game builds something like i, I think i go into like a kind of prey predator kind of dynamic all right and i start and i feel like my hands are starting to get clammy Mm. the kid knows where i am
0: yeah yeah. she's told me to
1: be there well that's why it's so frightening and then there's this point where she just goes (laughs) goes silent and marty it's so scary like (laughs) i and like my heart's beating and I'm under there and I'm like trying to listen to see if I can hear her footsteps and if they're approaching and
0: I'm just in
1: my head the words are ringing ready or not
0: (laughs) here I come we we may need to consider getting some Nanny help. Not for, her, for <laughs> you. <laughs> I need someone to just sit by me and rub my forehead. Wouldn't that be great? Who said, Who was it? Is it Amy Schumer that says, if you want to um, have fun in New York, just hire a babysitter for yourself. <laughs> they, they let you play with their cell phones and they charge very little money. <laughs> anyway. So, um, yeah, there
1: is a moment where you do start to hear the toddler breath in your ear and it is absolutely terrifying and yeah and that's all i have to say about that because i'm a really well adjusted and
0: a good parent and i i am fine you know she's gonna she's gonna prey upon you i mean because you are in a prey relationship with her she is going to go predator by the time Um, she's a teenager you are not going to believe the things she does when you're ready or not this is what i think i think you have to stop being afraid but right now How's that helping? You <laughs> he look
1: disturbed. I know. I feel like he just like looked into my eyes and said, ready,
0: ready or not, here I come. Yeah. You can't help but play with it. If you're going to be that, yeah. If your threshold of fear is that low, things are going to want to play on it. I'm just saying. All right. Well, I will continue to work on it. What are you
1: trying to figure out? Well, I'm trying to figure out how to live without caffeine, which is a
0: horrible, Ugh. horrible
1: thing. There is no, there's no yeah. solution to Like that. my
0: doctor quite literally said, you should Just not drink rest caffeine. To be- <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say why, and she would say, so I can examine you. But you jumped the gun. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all I right. I didn't
1: think you had you had known to go there i was gonna go there and you Ah, were like ready or not
0: here i go i'm gonna give you the joke you're about to give anyway so i came on it's it's bad enough to have to live without caffeine it's horrible you know we get up in the morning we're not we are not morning people karen (laughs) our beloved carrie Koo is a morning person thank god thank god because carrie Koo has done all the morning things in our lives for a long time now and so many people are morning people and they really, really need to stop. Anyway, all babies are morning people. So we have relied heavily on coffee. And I, I, we have coffee down to a science. We've got really good coffee, right? Yeah. And now I can't have caffeine. Yeah. So I got I get up in the morning, and I was like, uh, cuckoo, I can't have caffeine. And the doctor said I can't have caffeine until so I can't have my coffee. And Karen said, it's fine, I'll get you a cup of tea. If you drink two of them, it's as strong as coffee. And I said, (laughs) yeah, because of the caffeine, which I'm not allowed to have. She's like, all right, well, Coca-Cola has some caffeine in it, I could get you that. And I was like, again, Karen, the issue is not how is the caffeine (laughs) delivered? The issue is I can't have caffeine in any form. But it drives her – she's so sweet. She wants me to have whatever I want, and I want caffeine. So she keeps trying to deliver caffeine to me in disguise. (laughs) Yeah, she's trying to trick you into doing what your doctor said to do. The sad thing and the painful thing for everyone in the family, I think, is the look of stricken disappointment on her little face mm. every time she tells me another thing that's full of caffeine <laughs> that I could now eat because it's not the other things. <laughs> and I have to say to her, no, Kari K- K- it's the caffeine itself. Yeah. But she did recently show us a picture of a southern flannel moth caterpillar that would probably make me wake up out of sheer terror. So
1: that's something she's got going for her.
0: <laughs> i have to say this i should have saved it for another podcast but i'm brimming with the knowledge i knew this was going to happen the southern flannel moth caterpillar also called the tree asp asp as in the kind of snake that killed cleopatra because they it is one of the most venomous creatures in north america and it looks like a blonde elvis it's got this big pompadour of fur and it just wiggles around and then it turns into a moth that looks like a bunny rabbit. Violently poisonous. Never touch a caterpillar, especially if it's furry. That's what I have to say about that. We had a
1: caterpillar, a really big caterpillar that tried to break into our house. Yes. In Africa. In it, South we, Africa. I heard it going, you not? Here it comes. Yeah. Yeah. And then it tried to come in. It was huge. successfully came in through a closed door. We don't know how. And then Ro did try to sloop it
0: out with a stick. I was being butch that day. And it freaked out. This six inch long caterpillar and meaty, it was a meaty caterpillar. And it had this weird little conniption fit, like Mm -hmm. a seizure. And I don't think I'll ever sleep again. No, it brought me to my knees. (laughs) (laughs) And then there was a spider the size of my hand. And then later in the same place on the same curtain, a huge-ass scorpion.
1: Yeah, we were like channeling some big, powerful animal medicine energy that day.
0: Yeah, we wanted big animals. We did not get the elephants. We got the damn caterpillar. But they were terrifying. We got terrifying, huge, tiny animals. Yeah, we got
1: huge versions of tiny animals. That's Hmm. so interesting.
0: Hmm. That would be a good title for a book, Huge Versions of Tiny Animals. (laughs) If only we'd had tiny versions of huge animals, we would have had an elephant in a teacup instead of the spider. Oh
1: yeah. I want a giraffe in a teacup. Oh, that
0: would be so cute. But it would kind of obviate the whole purpose of a giraffe, right, which is to be tall.
1: Well, and the whole point of a cup of tea is <laughs> to have a giraffe in it.
0: Seriously, I promised to get off this topic, but when our friend Boyd came to get the spider for us, because we had to call someone to come get the spider, he brought a teacup. And even his sister Broadwin, who grew up in South Africa, on the reserve with him, Even she looked at him and said, Boydie, you're going to need a bigger cup. It was bigger than a teacup. Marty. What? I just love
1: that you are so hypocritical that you can tell that story without even mentioning that maybe three, four years earlier in the same room. Oh, God, this. I had repressed this and now hear it, ready or not. Well, guess what? Some but. of us can't repress it because we're not. Better tell the people. She gave me spider coffee. Oh, I did. It was, and like, this is not a small spider. Like, okay. So yes, my beloved made me a cup of coffee first thing in the morning. First very, thing in the morning. very sweet of her. Not but a morning person. Not a morning person doesn't necessarily check the bottom of the cup. Who does? It's white on the inside. That spider was brown, dude. And it was huge. Like, it was the same kind of spider that later you made a big fuss about being on the curtains. That was in my goddamn coffee, Marty. I
0: know. And the worst thing is, okay, the worst thing is it wasn't at the top. It was at the bottom. And you drank the coffee.
1: And then... A big leg kind of floated out of the gloom of the coffee. Oh, it was disgusting. It. (sighs) God, you are so lucky you repressed that.
0: No, no, no. I don't want to hurt our spider fans, but God, that was disgusting. That was awful. Oh, my. Let's let's do a a podcast. Let's stop um, reminiscing about things that make us want to hurt ourselves and let's Mm -hmm. just make a podcast. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. It's pretty crazy, but it just might
1: work. It just might work. We'll be right back with more Bewildered. We don't say this enough. We are so glad you're a Bewildered listener, and we're hoping you might want to go to the next level with us, by which I mean if you rate and review the podcast, it helps new people find us so we can keep bewildering new souls, and you know how much we love that. Ratings are very much appreciated. Obviously, the more stars you give us, the more appreciation is forthcoming. Reviews are quite simply heaven, and we read
0: everyone and
1: exclaim over them, and we just love you all. Mwah.
0: For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but i would love to teach you about it before the book comes out so this summer i'm doing a course called the Wayfinder's compass moving beyond anxiety and you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass and we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your north star
1: so we are actually doing a be wild files episode today and that's nice which Means that we get to hear from y'all, our beloveds, out in in the in the listening world of listeners, hmm. and um, today that person is Celestine.
0: That Celestine, we're from. hi Rowan Marty. My name is Celestine. What I'm trying to figure out is when to stop
1: trying to figure it out. I have spent the last twelve months in bug soup. Um, dissolving all the different areas of my life. And I'm starting to see the path of the future. But the control freak in me wants to
0: show up and plan it out, break it down, make an action plan. And there's another part of me that now understands that it's just my job to show up
1: and watch it unfold. So where do you find the balance? Celestine talks about bug soup, mm. one of my yes. favourite expressions in the English language. And a central term, I think it would be fair to say, in Martha's work. Yes. So in Wayfinder Life Coach Training, which she develops, developed once upon a time. I keep developing it. Yeah, it's a, it's a I development. I just keep developing it. And, she, and it is sort of loosely based around this brilliant concept of the change cycle that she mm. made up in her own little head. And it's it really- was data
0: grounded. It I, did it. I, went to Harvard. I didn't say it. They don't get to drink. <laughs> I didn't drinking. say it. You said it. Say <laughs> it again. No, don't say it. Keep going. <laughs> Tell them about this loose metaphor. Or do you want me to do it?
1: When you said, say it again, it made me think that the listeners are probably going to think that that's what <laughs> you want to hear in bed. All right. Just say, say Ivy league. Ivy League.
0: Um, you know, it just, it just occurred to me that what I gave you in Africa, what I made for you is what you just said is one of your favorite things, and that was literally spider soup. <gasps> oh my spider God. coffee, bug soup, what really is the difference? Oh, wow. See, so you manifested it. Stop thinking these thoughts. They manifest. <laughs> wow. They manifest four years ago. Yeah, they
1: did. Time is an illusion. All right. So The Change Cycle yes. by Martha Beck, it is a four-stage description of how we all go through change. Is that fair yes. for me to say that? Yes. So once upon a time we did a episode of this podcast called A Space for Dreaming. Mm. And in that episode we talked about the second part of that. Yes. Which is... So Marty calls it square one, square two, square three, and, get this, square four. Mm. So the space for dreaming was about square two. We're going to go backwards today and talk about what Celestine is is referring to when she says bug okay. soup.
0: All right. So a change occurs when something hits your life that does not allow you to remain the same. So it could be a shock, like a loss, or it could be an opportunity, like a job interview or whatever, or it could be just growth that you just outgrow your life. Anyway, for for a caterpillar, like the one that assaulted us that day,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it's the thing that triggers it to go into its little change, big change, big metamorphosis is that it gets full fed And that means that it has the same bulk as the eventual butterfly or moth. It has exactly, but they, they, you know, it has to grow until it's big enough to make a whole butterfly. And then something inside it gets triggered. This Mm -hmm. is literally true, what she's saying right now. This is literally true. And that full-fed caterpillar will make a cocoon and he'll just lie inside there. And I used to think they just lay in there, um, growing long legs and wings, but they don't. They disintegrate, at least many species, disintegrate inside the cocoon until there are no two molecules that are hanging together anymore. And then it triggers, that that condition triggers something called the imago cells. And the same cells are now reorganized and regrouped into a butterfly. It's like you took, uh, a, a person made of Legos and then you took apart every other every Lego from every other Lego and then you made a totally different shape out of exactly the same number of Legos right mm-hmm. so this meltdown process is what uh, what happens to us when we hit a place in our life where we can't go on being what we've been before and we don't like it much. Mm-mm. And we don't resist, we don't accept it, we resist it, and our culture doesn't even have language for it. So when it happens to you, when your life is hit, like classic thing that affected us all, the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. COVID-19 spreads across the world, everything shuts down. Nobody could be what they were before that. Mm. And so there was a huge period of not knowing what to be. And it's this ego dissolution, this feeling of everything falling apart, that is a signal that we've gone into a new metamorphosis. And for us, it could happen, you know, for a caterpillar, it happens once. For us, it could happen dozens, hundreds of times, I suppose. But that dissolving part has to happen and people resist that like crazy.
1: So the dissolving, you said ego dissolution. So yeah. but so what, where we feel it is in our sense of identity. Right, right, right. right. Um, so that, that sense of who i was i can no longer be and then there's and then what celestine's talking about is that period of time where the new thing hasn't come yet yeah and we are bug soup
0: we are spider coffee (laughs) yeah even worse than the spider coffee at least the spider still looked like a spider though it was dead um but really, like, if you just kept cooking it until it all mm. came apart. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, this is bad. Well, this is the thing. It's not fun to dissolve something, to, to let something fall apart. It is death-like. It mm. is the death of what we were. And our culture is very frightened of death. We should talk about what the culture says about all this anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, the <sighs> we've discussed before that the culture does not really... Like change doesn't really acknowledge it, doesn't really accept it.
0: Accept like change the, for the better. You know, th- there are certain things. Oh, every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. That's like the one thing we're allowed to do. That's true. That's true. Um, no,
1: there's and there's absolutely no room for this process, this natural process that does happen many times. There's no, like you say, there's no language for it. There's no, there's no space made for it. So I think. Yeah. Like the first thing, if we're talking about the this square one, this death and rebirth process that we'll all go through in our lives, it's, it feels really important to me that our first priority is to make that space because it's kind of big and when it happens, you kind of got to let it happen.
0: Yeah, and you, yeah, you put it once, you said you have to insist on your right to melt down. because the world around you at least in our culture is not going to be supportive of it and so you run a very high risk of having internalized beliefs that say this is not okay so if the reality is that everything's melting down things fall apart the center cannot hold and all that if you quote yates um then you're going to be really, really stressed as you fall apart, thinking I must not fall apart, and everyone around you going, you must not fall apart. But the reality is, you're melting. And it just happens. So
1: the melting can happen in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And even in just in certain parts of our lives, like you could be sort of more or less have your shit together with your family and at home and your Mm. relationships and stuff. But you might be in a square one with work where you're just right. like, no, this isn't serving me anymore. I need something new, but I don't know what it is yet. So <clears throat> I I thought I'd talk a little bit about like a really massive square one that I had recently. Okay. Um,
0: Were you full fed? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, that's funny because I had a baby and just before that baby came out, I'd do not think I've ever felt more full-fed. Yeah, yeah. I was full. I was full of baby. Yeah, you were full of baby. So there's this lovely term that people are starting to use, which is matrescence, and Mm. it's the process of becoming a mother Mm. from not being a mother Mm. to being a mother and what's lovely about it is like adolescence or senescence you mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, it's a period of time. It's not a like toggle switch from not to that. It's not yesterday I was a caterpillar and today I'm a butterfly. No, exactly. And what was interesting to me about this square one for me is that I had my daughter late, um, by most, biological standards, I was 40, I'd just turned 40 when she was born. So I'd had a lot of life before becoming a mother. Mm -hmm. I was very conscious that I wanted to do it. I prepared for it. I could not have been told more explicitly or more times that this thing I was doing would change my life wholly and utterly right
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so the bit I wasn't prepared for though was the bit where it changed my life (laughs) wholly and (laughs) utterly and irrevocably and freaking every second of my life yep is different now and not and because I'm different And, Mm -hmm. and a whole new self was given birth to and and so she's coming up to three and I still feel like I am right in the middle of that particular bug soup experience. And I don't know when I, when I take form Mm. again after this, in the part of my life where parenting motherhood lives, I know I won't be the same as before. I won't be what I am right now, which is an absolute freaking mess um (laughs) i will be i always am well i mean you know i'll still be me (laughs) um but yeah i mean i i definitely will have new pieces to integrate into myself which are being born and being melted every every day every week you yeah know, as as we go forward so yeah they
0: change so fast when they're little babies that you, you you just as you get used to one stage they're another stage yeah and it's interesting how hard we try to hang on to the previous stages that's I call so it, true i call it grabbing backwards yeah and i grabbing backwards is something that i can feel myself doing very often and i've been actually doing it a lot since we we went off to, I was working on my my chapter book and my picture book. I was working on a creating the illustrations for a children's book. Plus, I'm working on a nonfiction book that I'm actually under contract to create. And I was like on fire with my research and my uh, the the momentum of writing. And I was drawing all these pictures. And then I was doing. I was getting up at four and doing things. And I just had to put it all on pause go to Africa for a month. And I resisted that too, cause it was like, no, I don't wanna, I, my life is so great right now. Then we get to Africa and of course to South Africa, we're seeing our friends, we're out in the bush and it was wonderful and I completely let go. And just like every single time, you, you, every trip is always gonna be new, right? So it was this completely brand new experience. And I thought, oh good, that, that I put my life on pause We've been back for weeks and weeks. And I I just today realized I cannot be the person I was before I left. I have to approach the book. I mean, I read what I'd written before I left and I went, oh yeah, this is bad. (laughs) Started the book over after writing the first 100 pages had to start a whole new, like I looked at my art supplies and thought, I actually don't know how to use those. I have no idea what to do with them. So I was, I've been grabbing backwards for weeks now and it doesn't work. I forgot to just let myself melt. Mm. But even something small like that, I grab backwards for my identity.
1: So your, your writing career is in, is in bug soup yeah. at the moment, or maybe is just starting to give you some hints
0: yeah, this book is, it, the book became bug soup, even though it's on the uh, same topic, it, yeah. it had to be completely different. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I love this idea of grabbing
1: backwards, because we don't think we're grabbing backwards, we think we're sustaining forwards. Yep. But there's no, but there isn't that, because there is only the present. And so that's, uh, that's a cool way of of conceptualizing it, I think. Yeah. But how do we, all right, so how do we figure this out, this
0: bug soup square one mess? Yes, it's a mess. It's a complete, it's a spider in a cup of coffee and I will tell you how to fix it or we will tell you how to fix it or we won't, but we will do it all in a minute. I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass and we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.
1: So why is it Mm. then, do you think, that we we need to – Continuously die and be reborn in this mm. way through
0: our lives. Why does this happen? Now, you mentioned uh, the whole square one thing, and I always say that's the place of death and rebirth. Mm. And you can't stop either one. I mean, it, everything's always dying, and everything's always something new is always being born because nature, like we compare culture and nature, and the culture says, get to a state of perfection and then hold that, right. you know, and die looking good with a lot of toys. Mm. But nature never, ever stops changing. You are, you know, your fingernails are longer than they were when you started listening to this podcast. You're a little bit closer to your own death. I'm oh, sorry, that's a good podcast, yeah. ready or not. Yeah, um... <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, everything's always in flow and we get attached to a state of being. And we say that is reality. And then when it continues to change, it's like, what, what? No, don't let it change. We need to hold this state of being. And it's, it's almost like our whole culture is about trying to hang on to what cannot ever stop leaving and arriving, hmm. you know, our reputations, our legacies, our lives. They're, they're all just dust in the
1: wind, right? Right. So because there's only the present and the present is only ever changed, like the reality of change it's like we 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 get stuck in a in a state of grabbing backwards because mm. we that's what
0: we're doing when we think we're staying the same yeah. is that right is that yeah and i think there's two ways it's either regret or anxiety the regret <laughs> is oh i looked so much better a year ago i've got to get back to that mm-hmm. and the the anxiety is shoot i like like this now what am i going to look like in another year like the The continuous change thing is not so much fun when you're out of your um you'll see this when you're out of your 40s it becomes a real debacle it's like well i personally
1: won't be be leaving my 40s yeah i
0: you'll I'm look exactly the same yeah, yeah it's like um it was pamichodron the buddhist nun says we somehow really believe that our skin our hair our teeth will never change like not like an older person. Yeah. And then we get old and it's a complete surprise. It's just like having a baby. You know it's coming and it's a total shock. Yeah. So actually they say one of the uh, I saw this thing on senescence speaking of essences and they said the the single most common reaction to being old like when they talk to people who are over 100 is that they are shocked that they aged. Mm. <laughs> And I think I have a reason for that, but I'm gonna say it in a minute. But anyway, it's like, I was looking, we we watched a show the other day with Shirley MacLaine in it, and she was playing this role, and she's 89 years old when she recorded the show. And I remembered seeing her get an Academy Award in like her 50s, and talk about how hard it was for her to age, Hmm. and the whole room kind of went quiet like she was speaking the unspeakable in this room full of Hollywood perfect stars. And and then I saw her at 89 and I was like, you're magnificent. But who is she? Is she the teenage person that started acting? Is she a baby? Is she the glamorous 30-year-old? Is she the 50-year-old saying it's hard to age? Is she the 89-year-old? Yes. She's all of them.
1: Yeah. Is there something about how we perceive when we're very young that someone's age is somehow feels intrinsic to their identity. Mm. Like I remember saying to my father at, like I was quite young and I said something about how old people dress. Like <laughs> I had this idea that once you reached a certain age, you had to put on old people clothes. And is, I was is like, Is that not true? Wait, what? <laughs> well, and I said to him, like, why would you never see an old person in jeans? And he's like, Well, I'm gonna get old and I'm gonna wear jeans. And now he is <gasps> and he does. So it it so the prophecy was, the, what, the prophecy was. It was what? fulfilled. It was fulfilled. There's the word. <laughs> I, I was like, what is, what is a prophecy? Um, and so, yeah, I just, I feel like I have this habit of thinking about identity and age and probably lots yeah. of other things as well as, as being linked. And then, yeah, you see a gap like that. Yeah. And,
0: and, and it's confusing to yeah, something s- about our minds. We see states, statuses, like that oh is who that person is. And it goes all the way through. And then wait 10 years, they're completely different. And you're like, whoa, that was, or I wonder why they let that happen. I certainly won't let it happen to me. Yeah. But I guess they are like that now.
1: Yeah, that's it. It's like, it's such a funny thing that seems to be like a tendency of how we think. This isn't even in a nature culture kind of basket situation it's it's like there's just this tendency to i think it's like all right weird sort of metaphor incoming Mm. because we're trapped in bodies right Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. experience what's a flow of change as like one of those flip books where it becomes like a little guy walking along, you know what I'm talking about? And mm-hmm, then you mm-hmm. flip through the little book and the cartoon right. seems to move because it's just incremental progressions. And there's a something sort of staccato-y about mm. it. And, um, and so for us, because we're stuck in the matter of mm. our bodies, we are experiencing it as... Death, rebirth, death, rebirth, rebirth, like, hmm. oh, I'm falling apart. Oh, I'm bug soup. Oh, I'm coming back together. Right, right, right. But actually that's the illusion and what it, what it actually is, is just movement and flow and, and this sweet, beautiful, constant flow it's just there's just this strange aperture that we're looking at by because we've got we haven't got a great perspective on on what what's
0: happening why does the aperture feel like calming like this will sustain and when you say it's a sweet beautiful flow it sounds so nice but if you say yeah you are not you're older than you were five minutes ago and you're just going to keep getting older forever and then you'll die and decay and be gone you can say that sweet and beautiful but at least in our culture, again, I have other cultural references, but like the idea of the stasis is mm. comforting, mm. even though it's absolutely observably not real. Yeah. Where the idea of continuous change is like, ah, even though it is the only thing that is for sure. It's yeah. It's, st- it's
1: like maybe it's to do with that left hemisphere stuff that you've told me about where mm. the left hemisphere, which is the, the side of the brain, um, that our culture favours, mm-hmm. uh, its tendency is to slice things into smaller oh, and more, smaller true. pieces because that's the Analysis name. means, that's means to cut things means. up. And so I wonder if we just want a slice. We just want one 2D image. We don't want something that can dance. We want something
0: that we can frame and hang on the wall. You know, it is fascinating because according to Ian McGilchrist, my favourite neurologist in the world, the left side of the brain is also responsible for the, the actual hand movement of reaching out and grabbing. It wants to grab. so we talk backwards. about grabbing backwards. So it has this slices of time and it wants to grab a slice and hold it. And it also has this feeling of itself being the only right thing. Yeah. Whereas the right hemisphere is what's responsible for just observing the, with awe the continuous fluid movement of everything. So, maybe what it is is that it's just
1: like what we are is like waves, but what Mm. we the way we experience ourselves is as particles, if that makes sense. So, what feels like death, rebirth, death, rebirth, you know, or meltdown or new identity or change, or ah, it's all I can't, it's all it's different. Um, it's actually just a single
0: you know wave coming into shore, or you are. You are blowing my mind right now because this is saying that we feel like a particle even though we're a wave, it really puts it into an interesting space for me because of the whole Heisenberg uncertainty principle thing. You know that? Yeah, but you know, I okay. s- sort of. I will talk a little, I'm sure I've talked about this before. It's been called the most elegant experiment. You're gonna in double the history slip me right now. I'm gonna oh my God, that sounds filthy. You're going to have to stop doing that so that we can make a podcast. <laughs> stop double slitting. <laughs> okay. Uh, there was an experiment that had nothing to do <laughs> with sex. It had to do with light particles, with photons. They, they created a, a barrier with two slits cut in it and they shot these photons at the barrier boom 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 and it they they would land the photo, photons would land on a photographic plate behind the two slits i won't go into massive detail look it up if you have if you're not familiar with it it's amazing bottom line if they weren't measuring to see or if they weren't looking to see which slit the particle went through if they just went away and ran the machine without looking the way that the light particles hit the photographic sheet was dispersed the way waves are in water. It was it was clearly showing that the light was like a wave going through a sieve and it was separating out into the, the, the pattern that is characteristic of a fluid, right? But if they watched, then the photons would just go through one slit or the other and just make two bars on the photographic plate. And what they, this was, this, was discovered in like 1913, has been known for a long time. But what they realized is that when it is being observed, the light particle and potentially all particles act like chunks of matter, like pinpoints of stuff. But if consciousness is not observing them, they array like a wave. In other words, when you look away, I mean, imagine this, this is not part of the experiment, but I often imagine this, that every time you look away, whatever's behind you just disintegrates into energy. But the moment you look back, it hardens again into matter. Oh my God. It's not actually that far away from the implications of the double slit experiment.
1: What like? I don't know if if this is a bad idea to ask you this, but like, what? How do you take in the implications of this idea that the observation of consciousness fundamentally changes the nature of
0: of the universe? <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember- reading this in a physics book a long time ago and it explained the experiment and then it explained the implications and then it said if after reading this you do not feel as if the earth has disappeared from beneath your feet go read it again oh and i get and here's the thing you have to accept that we are fundamentally paradoxical so trying to accept ourselves as waves doesn't really work because we experience ourselves as matter but experiencing ourselves as matter doesn't work because we're constantly fluidly changing like a wave because we are both. And that means we are either or we are both at once and we are n- neither one all at the same time. And so it suspends your brain in a state that I think is what people are after in Asia when they call, they talk about don't know mind or the, the perfectly clear mind of consciousness. Everything, it is completely still itself, but it is also the source of all movement. It is, um, it it contains all matter, but it has no matter at all.
1: If it it, weren't for the still point, there would be no dance, but there is only the dance?
0: hmm, yes, we are still and still moving. Everything, the dance and the stillness are the same thing. Consciousness, maybe consciousness is the still thing and within it, everything is always changing. And maybe that's why we're so confused about the fact that we're constantly changing because the part of us that is thinking about it is actually consciousness, which maybe does not change, but is eternal, that is existing outside of the flow of time. And so the flow of time doesn't make sense to consciousness because it gets diluted into thinking it's matter. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, yeah. I started to feel like a talking golden retriever. Yeah.
1: I sort of, you start to look a bit like one too.
0: <laughs> Thank
1: you. It's because of Like
0: my consciousness is observing you and you're turning into a golden retriever as all things do. Theoretically something could just turn into a golden retriever and then back again. And, uh, that would just be a matter of statistically improbable things happening, hmm. very improbable, but it could happen.
1: Yeah. Like a whale in midair or a bowl of petunias. <laughs> um, so let me ask you this then.
0: Okay. Do
1: you think, I'm just going to put aside the whole mind boggling crap you just laid on us. Do you think that we experience death, rebirth, death, rebirth metaphorically through? our lives in the form of unwelcome change, because Mm -hmm. our job here is, is to practice or to learn
0: how to let go. Huh? Cause that would be the opposite of grabbing, isn't it? Like grabbing, just like open those hands and let go, let go, let go, let go go all the time.
1: Right. And if it's, if it's like, you know, Ramdas says we're all just walking each other home. If it's Mm. like, maybe. We're l- learning how to...
0: How to let go. Hmm. <sighs> Just... It's an interesting idea because then after you're dead, then you would you still have to know how? Or is it all a rehearsal for death? It Actually, this brings to mind a story that I want to tell our listeners. And okay. it, it was an interesting thing. You were there. We were on a plane. I believe we were coming back from Europe, South Africa. I don't remember where we were, but we were coming home.
1: We were... Okay.
0: Yeah, I think we're on the plane from London to Philadelphia or something. Anyway, I was read I bought in the airport, this book called In Love with the World by a a Tibetan monk named Yonge Mingor Rinpoche. And I'm I'm reading the book. And it's all about how he grew up and his father was a great teacher. And like he would say things when he was two or three, like I want a tricycle. And his father would say, well, you know, that just rusts and degrades, right? Everything dies, everything's impermanent. Just get that through your little three-year-old head. And it was spoken of in a loving way, but I thought, dude, that is harsh. Like Hmm. you're telling this to a toddler, like we go get Lila and just say, "This want to see something dead? That's gonna happen to you. Like that is (laughs) not how our culture does it. So I was quite put off by it, frankly, even though he's a beautiful writer. And he would talk about this, how in a lot of Tibetan households, everybody drinks a cup of tea at night and then turns the cup upside down and puts it by the bed to say, this day has gone. It's dead. This day is dead. Mm -hmm. And in the morning, if you wake up, if you say, oh, another day, and you turn the cup upright to receive what's coming now. But it's a totally different life, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I thought, well, that's really interesting. And we were, I stopped reading and we were playing with this little girl this beautiful British family, parents with two kids, a little maybe four year old and a baby and they were so adorable. Remember those kids? Mm. (gasps) And you were thinking about having a baby and we were Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, that's so adorable. And I started to talk to the mother. And um, I said, what are you doing in Philadelphia? And she said, we're going to a special hospital because my oldest here has a terminal illness that nobody understands only 40 people in the world have it and they want to study her brain as it decays until she's dead yeah and it was so surreal but what the the other thing that was going on is that i had noticed from the moment i got on the plane that the crew was bizarrely nice Mm. They were like, I mean, there. Are, a lot of crews are very polite, but these people were over the top, remember? Mm. They're like, can I bring you some tea? Can I bring you some coffee? And I was like, I can't have caffeine. Why are you hurting me? <laughs> no, I could, but they were like, really? Can I bring you anything? It felt weirdly sincere. Yeah. And so I kept talking to this little girl's mother. I mean, what do you say? I was just like, Gah. and then she said, the crew knows and they're doing everything they can to make this. This is her big airplane trip of her life. I think the airline had like sponsored the family for the flight,
1: so. Oh, that's
0: right. So they were getting help. They were, you know, not, they were just, he was like a salesman or something. They didn't have much money, Um, but there was so much love coming from the crew, coming from these parents who had accepted their fate and they were, the love for that child they weren't holding it back one iota, they were there, totally present. And, and and then as this sort of spread through the plane, the whole plane full of people started to get loving. Hmm. Like, Oh, this is all she gets. Oh, my God, we're gonna love this, we are going to love this. And I Got home that night. I drank some herb tea, I turned my cup upside down, and I let it die. Let mm. the let the day die. Let's see what's born tomorrow.
1: Yeah, because I mean, it, it really with the story of the little girl, you can feel how futile the the urge to grab backwards is, and oh, yet so how hard. human it is, right, so to hard. be there in the presence of this beautiful child and be so obsessed with what you know. Yeah. is going to happen to her even though it's completely abstract in the present moment yeah. she's just exactly what she looks like a happy little girl it's like mm. we want to rate we want to grab backwards even yeah. from a perfection
0: yeah yeah we want it to stay and and yeah. that but that is the opposite of Joy what what I think we were seeing there, and what Mingo Rinpoche was trying to say is when you let it flow, when you are continuously letting go, that's when the beauty can reach you uh that's when that's when you're in reality, and reality is kind, and so I guess for Celestine's
1: question, oh Celestine, right <laughs> <laughs>
0: hi Celestine,
1: so um. You just keep letting go. Just let go, let go, let go, let go, let go, and the
0: the river is going to take you where it's going to yeah. take you. I would, and and if you try to stop it, if you grab backwards, it actually slows the process down and makes it hard. But if you you can park yourself, I think, in consciousness and watch it unfold the way you would watch a caterpillar on YouTube going through metamorphosis. Just be fascinated. Don't try to control it. You can't. It's nature.
1: And that's why
0: we continuously say stay wild.
1: We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review. And stay wild.
0: You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way, too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need and the world needs wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to marthabeck.com and you'll find your way.